0: All right. It is Wednesday again. This is Lawyer Talk, a no-blitz Wednesday Lawyer Talk. What does that mean? That means uh, Randy and Lope are on vacation. Uh, We almost always, on Wednesdays, interface with them to take their free phone-in legal questions, uh, interface with them, answer their questions, and then go on and deal with our own questions. But uh, they're on vacation, so uh, the way I see it, the show must go on. I have Brett with Circle 270 Media here with me. uh, Jared – on the road with the comedians, the exchequer checker uh, on the road for work. So we're, we're manning down the, exactly. we're manning the ship.
1: Yeah. There you, there you go. I think that's the slogan we have at the door, right? The show must go on. The show <laughs> must go on. It,
0: it must go on. And that's okay. You know, we yeah. got to, uh, you know, you, you, you can't just say we're not going to do it. you got, you got to go, you right. got to do it. So exactly. Um, a few things, you know, it's funny I, since we started doing the blitz phone in and, Promoting the website that is lawyertalkpodcast com i 've been getting other uh, legal questions that way, so it 's not like we don 't have any questions to answer we 've got plenty and last week we talked a lot about the appellate process you know it 's funny i 've got now three sex offense appeals, in other words, people who have been convicted, i believe wrongfully of sex offenses uh, right it's sort of right post pandemic shutdown. Hmm. Um, and I'm working on all their appeals right now, Uh, and that means they've been convicted. The jury said guilty. I think it was the wrong decision, and now I'm looking over their appellate uh, options and uh, trying to get the cases reversed, So it's, and I I keep getting more and more questions on this, and I think the more information I get, the more uh, questions I get, but uh, last week, we were talking about newly discovered evidence. In other words, evidence that uh, sort of showed up after the trial, maybe your lawyer didn't Uh, present it, should have presented it, didn't have it, whatever it was. And then I started to inch into this realm of uh, post-conviction relief. It's like no man's land for appellate lawyers. Appellate lawyers hate it most anyway, Um, but it's important. So the next question we got was, when can I file post-conviction and what is it? I mean, we tried to answer some of this last week, but here's the deal. If if you have a mistake that happened at your trial, um, in other words – the judge said, uh, I'm going to let this evidence in, and they shouldn't have let the evidence in, or he shouldn't have let the evidence in. Or you tried to present evidence in, the, or the judge let evidence in that they shouldn't have, or you tried to present evidence that he excluded. Those are errors that happen on the record during trial. I can go right to the Court of Appeals and say, this is a mistake. The judge violated the rules. We need to do over. All right. Now, what if... Post conviction is where you don't have a record of it. So it's not like there was an objection that was sustained or overruled. It is not even there. There's nothing there. You can't say there was a mistake because the mistake isn't on paper. What do you do? That's where post conviction comes in. And I, I, anymore, man, I look at these things like I've got both. If somebody hires me or wants to talk to me about doing an appeal, I also talk to them about post-conviction because not all the mistakes, particularly in these sex, sex type cases, uh, they don't all appear in the record. Um, the biggest thing that we raise on post-conviction is usually tied to ineffective assistance of counsel. It doesn't necessarily mean your lawyer was horrible, but it means that if your lawyer made choices that aren't correct or should have been different, they're not going to be on the record. You know, you, you've got to dig into it. So I thought what I'd do today... Is sort of talk hypothetically in quotes about a case that I hypothetically might be working on and it involves both a direct appeal and post conviction so I have a gentleman who was uh, unfortunately convicted of a a sex offense involving a a younger child and again I do not think that this gentleman was guilty for all sorts of the physical evidence was just not there Um, if they're alleging certain sex acts and uh, the physical evidence doesn't exist. I mean, boy. So you would think, how does this guy get convicted? Well, it happens. Uh, and I am working on both a post-conviction case and an appellate case at the same time. And on post-conviction, maybe the best way to sort of answer this question, like what is post-conviction, when do you file, et cetera, is to explain what I'm filing or doing in this case on post-conviction. I have the transcript. I have all the testimony written out. Um, I have the the motions and the arguments that were all made on the record. But also, I have a whole list of things that were not done. The prosecutor in this case had phone records and iPad records. And there's an allegation that a bunch of stuff had been deleted. And the, and the police claimed to have expertise, the local police department in that case, claimed to have expertise on uh, doing phone dumps, we call it. Uh, so they did a phone dump of the phones and they said, well, you know, we can just tell that there was a bunch of stuff deleted, but we can't tell what it was. I found that to be a little fishy. So we sent off on post conviction after the conviction, after the jury said guilty and we're challenging the case, I sent off the reports to another expert and said, take a look at this. What do you know? Lo and behold. Well, it's pretty clear that whoever did this phone dump didn't have all the latest software and all the latest tools that we use to gain access to some of these deleted files. Um, now, what can I make of that? I, I can make that if I were representing somebody and I had access to these, uh, these phones or devices, there was probably a way that I could have found out what was deleted. And the attorney at trial didn't do that. They accepted instead that the prosecution's police work was good enough. And here it turns out it wasn't. Now it's important because the stuff that they claim was deleted was, was um, we'll call it bad for the defense. But how do they know? But that's the inference they drew. They don't know that for sure. But that's that's what they're trying to say. Um, and, and if if you go to your client, your client says, "Look, nothing is on that phone. I never looked at those images. I, there's nothing there that's going to hurt me. Here's what was deleted." And you have that conversation with your client, and you say. All right, we're going to be in front of a jury. I can force testing on this stuff. And if it comes back snake eyes, if you're lying to me, it's going to be really bad. But if you're telling me the truth, it could be really good. Um, That conversation apparently never happened. Uh, It was accepted as gospel that they couldn't get to the files that were deleted. So there's no way to tell. It left a real gaping hole uh, of doubt in the case about it just looked bad. It smelled bad. Wow, he has all these deleted files. She's claiming that he showed her these images, and now that we've got 100 deleted files, it must be. Now, if you could show that the 100 deleted files were instead a family photo album that he downloaded and then deleted after he moved it to some other place or whatever it was, well, that goes a long way to disprove what they're doing. I can't go in direct appeal to the Court of Appeals and talk about this. This has to happen in post-conviction. So now I go and I file a post-conviction petition, and I say, Counsel was ineffective. Counsel should have had this stuff tested. How do I know that? Because I have an expert now that says they could do it. They have they have the technology. Uh, so there's a way to uh, to get it tested. And there's more. There was a psychologist who testified, and there was not a psychologist who testified on behalf of the defense. And what the psychologist said on behalf of the prosecution is not, let's just say, it's easily refutable. Um, But it wasn't refuted because the lawyer didn't go get their own psychologist. There's DNA evidence that was testified about on behalf of the prosecution. And it was this, that we call it touch DNA or epithelial DNA, skin cells. Um, And there, the state's DNA expert drew some really broad, overbroad conclusions about that. uh, And there was nothing on the defense side to refute it. So immediately on post-conviction, what I did is I, I got a DNA expert had him review the reports. And he says, no, there's a lot that can be done with this. We could have said X, Y, Z. We could have gotten this tested. We could have concluded uh, really just the opposite of what their their, uh, witnesses concluded. I have a psychologist who's going to say the same thing. This is bunk. This is not good psychology. And now I have a phone expert or an electronics expert, computer expert, who's going to say, look, this phone dump we understood what they did, and now I, and we can tell you why they didn't get access to what they wanted. We can do it. All those things were available at the time of trial. All those things could have been done. None of them were. None was, I guess. None was. Mm-hmm. So it, that's on post-conviction. I'm challenging the effectiveness of counsel by saying, look, there's stuff out there that should have been done, was not done, and it really would have helped the defense. We're asking the trial court for a new trial. At the same time, I'm on direct appeal uh, arguing in front of the Court of Appeals that there were mistakes made, legal mistakes made at trial. They're two different things. So that's probably a long-winded, confusing way of answering that question, but uh, it was a good follow-up to last week. And again, that came out on LawyerTalkPodcast.com, so people checking us out and uh, sending in their questions. But, uh Anyway, it'd be fun to talk about Afghanistan. It'd be fun to talk about like COVID. Yeah. It'd be fun to talk about uh, those things. Yeah. But
1: well, well, did you did you catch? And this is kind of in the same line that the that Nirvana, the rock band, is being sued by the baby from Nevermind's album cover. Remember the baby that was in under the pool, grabbing the dollar yeah. bill yeah. on the
0: fishing line? He's suing him. Oh, all right, well, well like, all for, the, for the likeness and image stuff
1: uh, that it's it's ruined his life. Did well, I assume they got permission? Uh, it's it's strange. So I'll read the cover. The cover depicts Eldon, who's the guy, is a four month old in swimming pool, grasping the dollar bill. He is now 30. He says his parents never signed a release authorizing the use of his image on the album. He also alleges the nude image constitutes child pornography. Oh, well. So the, the image exposes Spencer's intimate body part and uh, displays Spencer's genitals from the time he was an infant to the present day, says uh, I think the legal papers and such. But he's on record saying that it's opened doors for him as well. Yeah, I, you can't have a boat. I mean, he's 26 when he said that. It's like okay, he's asking for like 150 thousand dollars from every band member.
0: Yeah, it's for, a money for, grab. <laughs> he's looking for a quick sum. Well, that's money a, grab. that's
1: what they're saying too. It's like wait a minute, you, you you all of a sudden it's a problem, but in the past you're saying it's not been and it's psychologically damaging and such. I've I mean, seen, I get it. There's probably a problem. Here. The parents may have screwed up. Yeah, maybe.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I would say. I mean, maybe the parents didn't sign a release. Maybe they did. But like, if, what do you do if you're a kid or if you're a parent and you've got a baby and they say, all right, we're going to give you X dollars. All you have to do is let us take a picture of your child, uh, your infant child, yeah. and uh, put it on an album cover. Right.
1: I, yeah. And, and, and I think they said that they were supposed to, the photo shoot was supposed to uh, graphically cover the genital area and it didn't it didn't now again that's hearsay obviously because there was nothing signed right yeah so all parties could have been smoking some weed at the time
0: (laughs) yeah it could have (laughs) drop the
1: baby in okay great pick thanks a lot here's 150 bucks or whatever it's an
0: interesting question you had it's like who whose was it like was it a friend of the band i mean it had to be or a friend of the Uh, photographer a friend of the production company had to be somebody's like or they just advertise have your baby's picture on nirvana's next album yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it's
1: interesting. And again, years after, I, I guess the big thing I saw though too, is when he was 26, he says it's, it was a good thing. It opened doors for him. It's like, mm-hmm. is that incriminating? Can it be used against him in this whole thing? It's like, Hey, the band member saying the dude says it's,
0: he, he loved it. Yeah. The dude says he loved it. It was good for him and he had a benefit And what you're really arguing there. At least what I think you, the argument would be is that there is a statute of limitations on this thing
1: and that to too. file a
0: lawsuit and uh, it, I don't know what that statute would have been, but it, let's just say presumptively. That's 30 years. Yeah, you know, it's 30 years. And maybe if the guy, when he turned 18, could bring his own cause of action. So at least give that. And and, right. and even then, at 26, eight years later, he's saying, I, it's, I'm cool with it. And now even longer, I presume, he's saying, I'm not cool with it. Yeah, he's going to lose.
1: I. I I don't see it. I don't. Other than just he gets the headlines today, and, and it's done.
0: And then is it child pornography? That's an interesting question. I mean, does that it, does to it, me is, yeah. Is it a depiction of a minor in nudity-oriented material that's uh, for sexual purposes? Uh, right.
1: And who of us have not accidentally taken a, bit, a shot of your kid, baby,
0: in the bathtub? Uh, this has always been the the problem with these laws, is and you don't think about it till you see the picture years later, going, oh. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's pictures of me naked as a kid. Probably way too old, in fact. <laughs> you know, dancing at, around
1: at the lake or whatever. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, my buddy's dad had this video of his <laughs> of of his son. His, so my, my my buddy's son, there was a video that uh, his grandfather took of him. Where I don't know, he's probably six or I think about six, and he was outside in the rain, <laughs> naked as a day is born. Dude. Maybe five or four. I don't yeah. know, but young. Um, and just dancing around in the rain naked. Yeah. And we all thought it was hilarious. Nobody yeah. thought anything of it. Right. But now it's uh, child porn. I don't
1: well, know. or you can, I guess the question would be, okay, you take the video, take the pictures. Is it the intent of and the use of that really defines it as pornography? Or the or just that you did it? and yeah, it is.
0: It is and it isn't. It has to be for some Like If you just have a naked kid there in a family picture or at a pool or something like that, that's different than having a kid who's engaged in uh, more sexual-looking things, and they're treated differently. Um, And
1: you're intent on using that
0: image or video
1: as well, too, maybe? Yeah.
0: So if you have a kid that's engaged in sex acts, that's obvious. If you have a kid standing there by the pool, it's not so obvious. Mm -hmm. And Otherwise, you'd be convicting every single parent of possession of child pornography. Right. Now, the bigger problem is, and I have had this question even as recently as last week, when your when your daughter sends the naked picture to her boyfriend, you know she's sixteen or seventeen, and uh, and the pictures go flying back and forth. That happens all the time. I mean, I get that I get that call every mm-hmm. m- month or so, once a month or once every couple months, uh, and it's ugly. Most court juvenile courts all have to deal with that. It is child pornography, even if it's a picture of yourself. Hmm. Um, most courts, I think, are sort of handling it appropriately. If it's the first time anything like this has happened and it's between, like, boyfriend-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend-girlfriend, they're they're giving them diversion. They're giving them other ways around conviction. But when the football team gets it and starts spreading around the picture of the ex-girlfriend cheerleader to the entire school, it gets ugly. You know, you get 20 people, 30 people in juvenile court all charged with dissemination or possession of some sort of pornography, child pornography, uh, that gets ugly. And then, you know, I know Delaware juvenile court, at least there, there's, uh, I don't know if they still do this, but it was like a one bite at the apple rule. Like, if you did it once, uh, all right. Okay. We'll yeah. educate you a little bit. Do it again. Now you got big trouble.
1: So, if you received something like that and just you're all part of the football team, but you're not in this mi- mindset, it's like, I'm not going to share it, that sort of thing. What do you do? You get this image on your phone. as like, do you, you delete it and move on? Or are you going to go, you're going to get called on the carpet? It's dicing. You're going to, you, yeah. I guess as long as you delete it no, and don't do anything with it, you're
0: okay. Maybe. So here's the problem <gasps> is here's the problem with this kind of contraband. Now let's just take it out of porn for a second. If you hand me say, uh, you just say, look, I put it in a lawyer's perspective, somebody comes in and they've got a bag of money that is, uh, got red dye all over it. And, um, they say, Hey, can I just store this here at your office for a bit? um, and what do I do with it? You know, it's like it's 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 evidence of a crime. Um, if I throw it away, if I get rid of it, if I dispose of it, then I'm tampering with evidence. Uh, that's a felony of the third degree in Ohio. Uh, if I call the police on my client, then I violated confidences. Right. Uh, I can't do that. So like, there's this. Like, this is one of those pickles that they give you in law school where they say, well, you just have to leave that thing on your desk. You're not allowed to touch it. You can't say anything about. it. You're not allowed to do anything with it. It it, it comes down to uh, being able to deal with that problem within the bounds of the spirit of the rules and still protect everybody. And, you know, usually that's a call, uh, not anonymous for me to the prosecutor, but anonymous on the part, I wouldn't identify my client. I would say my client has provided me with what is clearly contraband, what is clearly, uh, I've had people come in with bricks of cocaine, that people oh, come God. in with. Wow. And I'm like, I don't want that. Yeah. Uh, and I'll call the police and the prosecutor's office and make arrangements to have it disposed of without identifying the source. Then you would say, what if there's fingerprints on it? Can you do that? Can you, I mean, you can you can take that ad nauseum. You just have mm-hmm. to deal with the situation as it comes. Now, what if my, I, I get this call all the time from parents. My son, uh, or uh, my daughter has these pictures, uh, or my son has these pictures sent by my buddy's daughter. They're dating, and she's naked. I just want to delete them. Right. And I'm usually about that quiet, because yeah. I can't tell them to delete that stuff. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's tampering with evidence. It's a crime, and it's tampering with evidence. If I tell them to delete it, then I've advised a person to commit a crime. If I tell them not to delete it, they're in possession of it, which is like what's worse. Right. Usually I can deal with that the sort of the same way. I'll call up the prosecutors in juvenile court and, and start a dialogue and have an agreement about what we're going to do, how we're going to do it without identifying my client. If we can reach a good agreement, then I can identify my client and sort of get everybody through the meat grinder. But if they say no, I always tell my clients, let your conscience be your guide, man. I can't advise you to delete this stuff. It's, it's contraband. I can't tell you to delete it. It's a crime to delete it. It's a crime to possess it. It's one of those pickles that doesn't have a great answer. Yeah, I
1: mean, you could have evil on one end, just sending that photo out just to trip everybody up. I mean, yeah, if you think about it, like, and I got, I got this picture. I'm just going to send to everybody. I'm going to screw everybody. I'm going to screw, screw everybody. all my, yeah. all my enemies. I'm going to send them this, and boom, it's on their phone. Now they have to deal with it for now, years. That's
0: right. And you know, y- you wonder about kids because I've implored many, many teenage boys and girls in my office. Do not do this. Don't do it. I've spoken at not schools, but I've spoken at other places on, to chill, to kids, to teenagers. I've talked to my own teenagers. Um, I've talked to all sorts of friends, uh, children, and they still do it. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. it's like when my parents said, "Don't go. You're not allowed to drink beer. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to speed." You're- like kids are, kids are jackasses. They just don't know it. Right. They, they still do it. They don't realize the consequences. And here's one that you never, really. most, I've never heard anybody come in and say, oh yeah, I knew that and I didn't care. You can end up on a sex offender list as right. a juvenile. Right. For having your yeah. girlfriend's. I was wondering about that. Underage yeah. pictures. Now it, it's not mandatory, but you know, if you do it enough times, and get caught enough times, that kind of crap happens. Yeah. It just is, uh. It's awful. So I, I, there was talk, and maybe I'm behind the times, there was talk of actually uh, leaving some safety valves in there for kids to kids. But uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's a dangerous, dangerous game that way. And the more laws we create, the more things you prohibit, and the more things you prohibit, the more yeah. things that will get caught in the dragnet that are unintended.
1: Or even that you get one, like you said, one bite at the apple. It's like, okay, you, you take advantage of that one bite of the apple.
0: Yeah, and it
1: works both ways. Like, yeah, you can do it
0: once, and you'll be cool. You know, that's the thing. thing, And here's where I'm going to get a little political: is that you end up. I just had this conversation with somebody about another case I'm trying to resolve, and what's happened is, in the face of of concern about, I'll just say equity, in other words, treating everybody the same, we are ending up with insane, outrageous results. I always have thought that the only way that our system of justice works in our country, Western United States justice, meaning we have a constitution, we have something unique here. The only way that works though, is if prosecutors are permitted to and do exercise reasonable discretion appropriately. And by that, I mean, if Two teenagers are coming in, they're dating, and they've screwed up by sending naked pictures of each other to each other. And if you're going to treat everybody the same, then you have to say, I'm not going to give them a break. I'm going to to let them get, I'm I'm going to have to prosecute them in juvenile court just like I would anybody else. And that's just how it's going to be. And I don't care. Damn the torpedoes. I don't care. They're going to be treated like everybody else if you let that prosecutor have discretion over a scenario then maybe those kids can learn a lesson maybe you can pre- prevent it from happening again and maybe you don't need to have a teenager on some sex offender registry or something else but then the next person comes in and you're accused well you gave them a break but not these two a break etc and that has become that that concern has become tantamount uh to doing injustice in exercising discretion so uh, and then i guess the the response is going to be well i treat everybody who's boyfriend girlfriend first time all the same all right well where does that end like you yeah. that's a sliding scale that has no end you have to be able to look at the individual in our system of justice and make discretionary calls you have to yeah um and that's going to result in different results if you if you put it on a matrix and you try to draw lines back to um those who got a break and those didn't get a break and some got this, some got that. There's always going to be a way you can draw that line and point to something that you think or interpret as discriminatory, as unfair or whatever. But it you're from also, the, you're from that
1: zip code. I'm going to give you a break. You're from that zip code. You're not getting a break. You kind of, yeah. Get it all the you, time. Even if, even it's just that.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and to yeah. some extent that may be true. Yeah. On the other hand, if you don't let that happen, then you, then, uh, I I pray for you when you're the one who needs the discretion and Mm. can't get it.
1: There's got to be some kind of humanizing of the law, correct? Yes,
0: has to be. Because
1: law is developed by man, by humans. Yep. We've got to put some human to it.
0: And, and, you know, it's— We screw up. On some levels, it's contrary to the blind lady of justice holding the scales because— we are asking for at the end of the rope, at the end of the at the end of the process, or sort of end of the. I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. We're you're, you're asking at the end game for the prosecutor to have some discretion to do what's right mm-hmm. for the individual, no matter what. And now, if that discretion is exercised discriminatorily, well, then deal with it. You know, I don't mean deal with the deal with the uh, discrimination. I mean, deal with the problem. Get right. that guy out of there. Get that gal out of there. If she's if if, if they're if they're operating unfairly, then there's a con, there, there's a remedy. Fire him. Right. Mm-hmm. Je, uh, vote somebody else in next time if that's how it works. But uh, don't get the, the solution can't be we're just going to eliminate all discretion. The solution has to be we're going to watch and make sure discretion is exercised fairly in uh, and, and not based on on things that are inappropriate, so that ultimately those kind of problems, like back to the question like with uh, child pornography, et cetera mm-hmm. for kids, they have to they have to be solved with discretion out of the court system and the prosecutors and you know the law bakes that in. we have things like diversion. I was going to say, it sounds like an education problem It it is Uh, in regards to
1: showing them what this can do to ruin the rest of your life. What does it mean to be on a sex offender registration list? What does it mean for the, you know, all these little implications of beyond it's just stupid to do
0: here are the ramifications. Yeah. It's a, it's a disaster and you make a great point. It's like, it is an opportunity for education and to teach and Here's what's funny. Our juvenile system is designed, I mean, by its very nature, juvenile court is designed to do what's in the best interest of the kid. It's not designed first and foremost for punishment. It is designed for rehabilitation and to help the kids. You're not accused of a crime in juvenile court. You are, a, you are being uh, alleged a delinquent minor you are not getting convicted of a criminal offense. You are being adjudicated as a delinquent minor. Now, these terms matter because as an adjudication of a delinquent minor, when you're asked in 10, 15 years, have you ever been convicted of a crime? You get to say, no. I was adjudicated a delinquent minor. By definition, it's different. We do that on purpose. The goal of juvenile court is to protect the best interest of the kids uh, first and foremost. And to the extent that uh, we have a juvenile court to the extent that that's the goal, then I would, it always drives me nuts when the system will quickly back off that goal as soon as, be, as, soon as it's politically appropriate or they think it's politically motivated to do it mm-hmm. or incentivized to do it. Right. So I had cases – I mean, we'll just jump at it. I, I've had cases that 15, 20 years ago kids were uh, secretly plotting in their bedroom to uh, blow up a city or something. And, you know, they never were going to be able to go through with it. It's very disturbing. It's troubling. It's scary. It's all these things. But should they go to prison at 16 years old or 17 years old for that? Uh, And by prison, I mean, like, bound over, treated like adults, uh, punished in adult prison, and go through that rigmarole. Um, Or is there a better way in juvenile court to deal with that problem? And I would say yes, except then the politics get in the way, the emotion uh, the the perception of what's going on. Uh, it's very easy in our system of justice to abandon the protections this time because what this person allegedly did was so offensive and so egregious that we're willing to change the rules or to treat somebody this way, this time, and abandon the protection and uh, not get and change the perspective of juvenile court because we just think it's so awful what they did, so abhorrent. The problem is, sooner or later, that devil turns back on you, and you know if you abandon it enough times, you lose the protection for everybody it's 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 that is the old the age old problem with that. so I think when justice is blind, what we're saying is it's it doesn't mean you can't give certain people a break. it means you can't make it worse yeah. you know it's like look at it that way it's like what we're not saying is you can't depart and give people help and a break when they need it. What we don't want you to do is treat other people. We don't want you to abandon the cause when you think that somebody has done something that's so egregious that it's wor- that we can just get rid of due process this time and, and kill or string this guy up. Um, or think that this
1: decision turns the tide moving forward, that this scenario will never happen
0: again. Sure. Right. They so they are going
1: to make that kid an example.
0: They're going to make him an example. And it'll,
1: it'll stop it all.
0: It'll, and, and yeah. it's so, that's such a false belief that I, it's almost impossible to no, discuss it. It's, it's exactly. So I
1: mean, the first the first uh, death by needle or, or electrical shock didn't prove that. Yeah.
0: I mean <laughs>
1: – The it, chair didn't stop anything. <laughs> you,
0: you bet. And it's uh, – I guess the purposes of the criminal justice system are punishment, um, deterrence of others, uh, and, and uh, rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. You know, one is never more important than the other, but we can't lose sight of the fact that punishment is a part of our criminal system. Uh, If you go back to the Hanurabi Code or whatever it would be in Babylon, you know, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for all a tooth, right. and that was, like, designed to to met out all three at the same time. Um And the problem is they get skewed. People want to punish when it's a crime that directly impacts them, but then when, it's, uh, when they're a victim of a crime rather, but when— maybe when their their loved one has a problem they just they say, I get these questions these rhetorical questions well don't they know that this is a good kid he's a good kid
1: they're all good kids yeah he's so never they been always in are exactly there's he, never been a bad kid that's been convicted right
0: yeah he, he's not the kind of kid that d- that should go to prison <laughs> And I look at people, I'm like, did you have you always believed that with everybody you've seen? And like, I agree with you, first of all. But secondly, what did you say six weeks ago when it was somebody else's kid that was accused of this crime? Mm-hmm. You know, you thought, kill that kid. This is awful. I can't believe it. it's, uh, you know, the problem is when you treat others worse uh, because of the emotion of it, well, sooner or later, the devil turns back on you yeah. and you're going to get the same in return. I saw it with Me Too in that movement all the time, where, you know, it, Nobody was saying that it was, at least I never would have said that you're, that uh, people who commit sex offenses or rape or date rapes or sexual harassment against the, the females or males or whoever, you know, nobody gets a break on that stuff. Mm-hmm. But they shouldn't get less due process. All right. It should be the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, instead what we get is this notion that we have to believe first and uh, and treat those cases differently. And to that I say hogwash. No way. That's the scariest thing you could ever do. You know, if it, if somebody did it, prove it, and let's go to court and met out the right punishment. But don't tell me you, you don't have to prove it just because you said so. That's not good enough. It's not good enough in a bank robbery. It's not good enough in a rape. It's not good enough in uh, in anything. You have to say so. It has to be credible. It has to be meted or it has to be uh, washed through due process of law in the court system, and then do all those things right. Then, right. and and I and I tell you what. I can't say all the time, but most of the time the right outcome on those cases happens when you let due process the process where it's doesn't, Yeah, yeah. It's stressful. Nobody thinks it's a fun chore to put a rape victim or any victim through testifying in court. But here's the reality people lie. They lie all the time. I have been in many, many cases where it has just been a bold faced lie. Or more dangerous perhaps people make mistakes and the best way, maybe the best example is gonna be uh, eyewitness identifications. So go back to the fifties and sixties and seventies before DNA, um, There were, people were doing life sentence, life sentences on eyewitness IDs, on both rapes, on murders, on, on really horrible crimes. And then DNA comes along and all of a sudden people are getting exonerated. Like how does that happen? And it is so such a strong uh pull humanly to, to not admit that there was a mistake that prosecutors and witnesses will, will go to incredible lengths to justify a bad conviction. This is like the old Barry Sheck, the unindicted co ejaculator. So there was a hmm. there was a rape case, a famous rape case where um the the seaman found I, I think it was this. There was, not, there was a false identification or the victim identified somebody as the criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found semen at the time of the rape, but they couldn't test it. There was no DNA yet. They do the DNA testing. It turns out it was somebody else, and I'm making this up at this point, but mm-hmm. for practical purposes, it's the same. It turns out it was somebody else, maybe somebody else whose DNA was already in the system for another sex offense. And, um, and uh, so clearly the person that was accused at least didn't ejaculate and didn't uh, do it. So the, the prosecutor's response was there must have been two people there, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Yeah. And this one, the guy we convicted just didn't ejaculate. <sighs> and uh, that's why uh, he called it the unindicted co-ejaculator. And, <laughs> it, oh. and you can see how that happens. And if you get rid of due process and you just let it go and, ba- and based on emotion, humans are capable of horrible decisions when it's premised upon emotion. And the only thing we can do is have a process in place that's designed to catch that and and make sure and keep it in check sort of like the scientific method mm-hmm. like get rid of your bias wash it through due process wash it through a jury trial give this guy a defense give her a defense let it happen and then the right result you can be confident in and be willing you got to be willing to go back to the beginning and say you know what maybe we didn't get it right this time yeah maybe right. we didn't get it right i don't wow. know wow
1: wow it's um
0: <laughs> Um, anyway, shifting gears, I had, I had one Damn. more question. we probably got to wrap it up. Damn. Um, I, the other question I got, somebody uh, wrote in and asking about their OVI and they have a CDL, they have a commercial driver's license. And, um, here's the deal. There's a, there's probably a, a book I could write on this, but let me just give you the basics. Um, say you're just driving your normal car, uh, or even your commercial vehicle. There's different rules for CDL holders. If you refuse a chemical test and you have a CDL, it can result in an automatic one-year cancellation of your CDL. Let me repeat that. It's a one-year cancellation done, implemented by the Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles of your commercial driver's license if you refuse a chemical breath test, blood test, or urine test. And you could say, well, uh, I don't trust those tests, That's uh, you know, whatever it is, but that's a that's fact. That's what it is. It's an administrative one-year cancellation of your CDL. If, the, if you get multiples, say you did it, you, you already went through it five years ago and you did it again today, it's life. You lose your CDL. the The rules are very, very strict on commercial driver's licenses. Uh, if you're if you submit a sample and it's above the legal limit, same thing. Um, if you uh, if you're driving your commercial vehicle vehicle and you get caught, you're going to be taken out of service. It's like a, I think a 24, 48 hour out of service uh, order. It just gets really, really bad. I tell, and, and you know where we're starting to see this marijuana. Mm-hmm. And medical marijuana and guys uh, using marijuana say after they're driving all day to sort of de stress, go to sleep, do whatever, and waking up, well, you know their cab still smells like weed. They still have it in their truck. They still are going to have it in their blood bre- or their urine or their bloodstream. It's like it's getting it's getting dangerous. And until that loosens up a little bit with the new marijuana uh, attitude then my advice is do not do it. Well, I have a medical card, don't do it. But I have a, me- don't do it. It's, it, unless you don't care. You know, choose another profession. But if you get caught driving uh, alcohol, drugs or whatever it, with a CDL, it is draconian, it is bad. And it, it, you know, there's some reason for that. You know, we have treated in lawsuits and uh, in criminal law, the notion of quote, common carriers, commercial drivers differently. You know, we figure they're professionals. They drive professionally. The regulations should be strict because they're on the road. And we we think that we can, we being society, thinks that they can and should treat that differently. So uh, I guess if you have a question about your commercial driver's license and some of these issues, give me a call and be specific because it can get, uh, it gets complex. But I'm just telling you, if you get asked to take a test and you have a CDL and you don't take it, you're canceling. If you get asked to take a test and you flunk it, you're getting canceled. Be careful. Yeah, you know the, the best thing I can say is don't get in that situation. But
1: yeah, and and, and from what you've described before too, of okay, great, you're, you take a pause, 24, 48 hours. It's that institution back in getting it getting it back in. It's a pain in the butt. <laughs> the paperwork of getting yeah. you approved again, they make it hard. <laughs> it,
0: and there's there's reinstatement fees oh my and everything gosh. else. Yeah. And what we try to do, and I've got a case right now like this. We're, we're trying to get the prosecution in the underlying OVI or DUI case to agree, to, to put it in quotes, to, quote, agree that there was no refusal. Um, and that's a hard – and even if we do that, now we're getting into this realm where the Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles is not taking that necessarily as uh, what really happened. And uh, people are having full-blown hearings on the administrative side out at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, and then if you appeal that in court in Common Pleas Court, they're having administrative hearings trying to save their their livelihood. Mm. Um, it's just not worth it. It it just isn't. Wow. And and I, I I implore you, if you have a CDL and you rely on that for your living, just stay off the booze, stay out of the drive. Just wait. Just wait. Take a summer off if that's what you want to do. But don't mix the two. It just Damn. gets ugly. Yeah, mm. gets ugly. Wow. Uh, anyway, well, we didn't get Randy and Loper, but two pretty good questions anyway. Yeah. And cool. covered some other stuff. So.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, a number that they can call in your number or whatever number to leave a voicemail, right?
0: Yeah. So we do actually have a number, uh, a Google voice number now. So what we're doing is if you, if you want to go to lawyertalkpodcast.com, we have the, uh, email interface. You can submit a question that way. If you just want to call and leave a voicemail, uh, for the same reason, just do that. 614-859-2119. That 614 859 2119. Give us a call. Leave me a voicemail. We'll get it. And, you know, if you don't mind, uh, let us know. If you don't mind just playing the message on the air, we'll do that and we'll answer the question. Uh, We can take out names. We can take out identities. We can do it however you want. Uh, And then it won't be long before we'll have the live phone in where you can do that too. Yeah. Um,
1: If you couldn't get on with the Blitz, you do it with us.
0: Yeah. And it, guess what? Go. We have a lot more time here. Right? <laughs> a lot I mean, more can, time. We can spend some
1: time. <laughs> and and not have to worry about the FCC on any part of it.
0: Yeah. FC what? Yeah. Uh, no way. No not way. here at 511. No nope. FCC. Nope. Um, and, and as always, upstairs, the law firm is still there. 614-224-6142. We got, uh, that's a 24-7 numbers as kids are coming back to school at Ohio State. Football's starting up. Lots of trouble always brewing in the horizon when that occurs. By trouble, I mean drunk driving, uh, petty crime, whatever it is, whatever's got you in trouble, we are here to help. Put that number in your phone now. That way you're not looking for it when it's too late. Uh, 614-224-6142. So this has been another riveting episode of Lawyer Talk off the record, on the air, at least until now.